Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. Now, I've got some good news and some bad news. Uh, The bad news is that Esther and I and the whole family have gone off to Wales for half term. The good news is we're going to give you something else to chew on. It's called Desert Island Crisps, a special edition of which follows. Uh, As many of you already know, uh, these are interviews I do with my celebrity mates in which I talk to them about their lives through the medium of food. Uh, In this episode, I'm joined by the prince of 90s kids TV and the king of breakfast radio. It's the one and only Jamie Theakston. Have you got anything uh, left for us, Jamie? Because you have come, you have come from the Heart Studios, and have you given everything you have for the radio show? I tell you what, it's, it's really nice to be able to talk. Obviously, every morning I sort of talk for, for a living, but it's nice to be actually talk in front of someone else. <laughs> I've got missed that, you know, with all, with the lockdown and what have you. It's it's it feels so novel to be actually to be spending time with someone. But I, I've known you for. 25 years and this is the first time you've actually had me in it takes a lockdown to get me <laughs> into, into your kitchen uh do you know do you so, the main uh, reason is because it's it, it wasn't because it's not as nice as your kitchen uh, so i've been to your house only the once when you were showing off right yeah. the new well i've been to each of your houses once that was, always, well, that was enough <laughs> but um i know i came to ditchling a few times but yeah, yeah. no your lovely house in chiswick honestly i kind of Esther was going, um, Jamie will never have seen such a small kitchen. Um, <laughs> well, it's just, I, also, it's quite exciting being back in North London. But, uh, uh, this is a, a place that I was sort of familiar with in my youth. It was quite interesting driving through Camden. I've not been to Camden for years. and Camden, I, I remember going to the Camden Palace the first time I ever went to a nightclub. Um, yes, me too, Camden Palace. The pubs that I used to go to as a sort of teenager. So it's quite exciting being back. You you never grew up, as you, you just say. <laughs> no, I, li- I lived in West Hampstead. Well, it was called Cricklewood. My dad called it Cricklewood, and now it's got poshed up a bit. Yeah, I lived about two miles west. I just moved glamorously east because I basically couldn't afford to live there. Um, but you were in North London because you were at the Poly down the road. Is that why I you were... at North London Poly on the Holloway Road, which is, I think, now... Rather grandly known as the University of North London. I think it's, or isn't it the or Metropolitan University? <laughs> <laughs> to I be honest, know. I call it North London I was, Poly. I wasn't and, there very much. <laughs> it was, I don't quite know why I went. It was an awful place and I didn't really enjoy my time there particularly. Well, look, Jamie, tell you what, let's 
do this formally and oh. go back to the beginning and there's come up. There's a structure? Up. There's a structure. Which oh. is a structure. There oh, okay. is. There is. So you're not cooking anything for me. I feel like I'm slightly under full... You've got me up here. I'm warming something up for you. Oh, fair. And I have cooked something for you. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, you, your, your list was, you know, it's things you can buy, things you, you know, you didn't, you didn't task me very hard. If you'd put a roast chicken lunch. Uh, but we'll come to that, which I made. Wow. Yeah. What is that? Well, well, you're not going to tell me later. Well, you, you, it was on your list. No way. Well, I don't even clue what that is. It's a sort of, I'll describe it, because it's a green with a red, do- what is it? It's, it's, oh, well, we'll come talk about it later. The first thing on your list was fish and chips. Now, yeah. I, I would have deliveried that, Uber eats it, uh, just eated it, other delivery systems are probably available. Mm. But this is, we're doing this at, in the morning. So, in fact, now we've left it a bit late, the chip shops will soon open. But fish and chips, A, is a bit grotty when it comes on a bike and yeah. and b doesn't travel it well. doesn't travel very well and there's nothing that good around here but why fish and chips why well I, I as uh, as someone who who comes from brighton originally it's kind of our national dish really and so i sort of grew up on it and so yeah as i say fish and chips was a sort of you, you can't walk along brighton seafront without that sort of heady vinegary is it any, any good because fish and chips kind of I seem to remember it being great in our youth, then it got bad. Now you're getting good fish and chips again. Yeah. Are you fussy about your fish and chips? I, I think so. I think it's like most things. It, it's not like... Uh, I'm quite pleased that there are now these sort of more gastro-y fish and chip shops. I think we, I think it's being appreciated more as a, as a food. I mean, there's nothing worse than bad fish, sort of insipid, pale chips and sort of soggy. It's awful. Um, well, you want you want fresh. I mean, you want cod or haddock, presumably. Yes, yeah, it's nice. Effect. And the whole point of the batter is it should, the, the oil's really hot, the batter's really crunchy, and it yeah. kind of keeps the beautiful, fresh, white, flaky fish kind of protected from the oil. And it comes out, and you crack it, and the steam, yeah. and it's and when it's done brilliantly. I mean, I know that um, Rick Stein's fish and chip shop in Padstow gets uh, spot on. Um, but you're right when it's done awfully in pay- in fact you can't have you know you can't have it in newspaper anymore yeah. you know, because of the something to do with the poisonous newsprint <laughs> the poisonous <laughs> journalism exactly. two people might open it up and find a column <laughs> by me in it <laughs> <laughs> That sort of bile that is produced. There hasn't been newspaper for ages. I think in the eighties, I think it was banned. It was made, it, now we're not allowed to wrap our fish and chips in newspaper. So, so were you a country boy, or was it literally in Brighton? No, I was outside of Brighton, so just um, on the other side of the of the Downs. So I had quite an idyllic childhood. Uh, not, I mean, I can't really think of much to, to say in a way. It was sort of, I was quite lucky, I guess, in a way, in the, so much as I was brought out in the country. I grew up in the countryside. Went to a sort of minor public school, dreamt of being an actor, and that was kind of really my life. Up in that case, in that case, well, no, I've got a couple of questions to ask you about. Things. Well, look, I'll ask you now. I'm just, I'll let the listeners guess what I'm rattling here. <laughs> no one has ever asked for this. Okay. On uh, it's nothing illegal. I suddenly realised this sachet of. But uh, in, in all the time I've been doing Desert Island Chris, I've done quite 30 odd people. No one has asked for this, but it's a, it's a key thing from any child of the 70s. But look, by the way, Drew being an actor, I, 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 like, I Wikipedia'd you, because although you're an old mate, I don't, you know, we don't sit around no. and talk about, and what did you do when you were little? Um, it, you were in Taggart in 1983? No. You were in Wish You Were Here in 1976? No, no, okay, right. First of all, have you got your head around Wikipedia? You know how Wikipedia works, right? <laughs> Wish you were. I was in. I was in the TV. You, you are. You are Daniel Craig. <laughs> Funny enough, Daniel Craig and I were in the National Youth Theatre together. I know. I together. found that on Wikipedia. Oh, That's true. Right. Is it? Okay, great. True. Excellent. I was never in Taggart. 
Um, it says on Wikipedia. I know. It? it also yeah. says in Wikipedia that I shared a flat with Adam Woodyat. Which <laughs> oh, was the longest serving of all these centers. Which was a which was a, actually a, a, a joke. In a, I did a, a show uh, called Rock Profiles with with David Walliams and Matt Lucas, which preceded Little Britain. And there was a, we did a sketch about me sharing a flat with Adam Woodjack. That now has become fact. And and, it, and I get asked about it every time I do an interview. And I always can tell whether someone's Wikipedia goes, so you shared a flat with Adam Woodjack? <laughs> I go, no. And then, yeah, now I've just got, you know what, yes. <laughs> I'll just go with it. This is this is terrible. One of your oldest friends goes. So tell me about the Adam Woodyard years. Wish you, well, I was, so w- wish you were here. You, I think you're confusing the is that the Judith Charm. The, 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 yes, the TV, the the holiday show I did. Wish you were here. The travel show, but not in 1976. No, I don't know. When you as were presumably sort of, four or five. Yeah. Um, no, it's just not your, back then. your early thing. So, you, okay, so look, and it's not true. There was no episode of Taggart with you as no. an 11-year-old boy. It says it on <laughs> Really? And this not is very Taggart. disappointing. Because the reason I have my friends on is because I don't have to bother to research them. I tell you and, what, I think what, there was a, there is a director called Graham Theakston, who, and again... I, I, I think I've been incorrectly linked. Some people have said, oh, my Graham Theakston's son. And I think Graham Theakston might have directed a Taggart. <laughs> and that might have been where that can connection we, Ben, can you from. make sure we get the right Theakston on next time? <laughs> it was Graham Theakston I was, I was really, really punting for. And, you're not, and quickly shoot this out there. I can't remember. The beer's nothing to do with you, is it? No. Well, uh, my, um, my father was claimed to... Um, be somewhat connected in some way there is a place called Theakston in Yorkshire which is next to Massam where the where the beer comes from mm-hmm. and um, I don't believe there is any connection intriguingly I did a, a charity bike ride last year where we drove where we cycled from Scotland did you just give away what really happened when you where we drove I mean <laughs> I mean yeah and on the way through, we were sort of cycling through Yorkshire, and it's, it's not a part of the world I'm very familiar with. And I saw on the sign, oh, look, there's Theakston, and Massam is a couple of miles away. I, we need to pop in. And so we had a film crew following us, and we thought, oh, this will be a sort of nice moment. They could not be less interested when I turned <laughs> on. <laughs> As I thought, I expected yeah. to embrace like, the prodigal son returning. Um, you can imagine that for 50 years, well, one just, day that Theakston will come through our village. And, and, and with a director, it would be quite nice if you know you could you stand behind the bar and we we'll get a picture of you behind the bar in the at the at the brewery. And I was just sort of getting in the way, and they were a bit peeved. They were quite happy to see the back of us. <laughs> they were hoping for Graham Theakston. They were, yeah, from Taggart. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so okay. So, the National Youth Theatre—you that is true. You were. You were That's there. true. So, when uh, I was about fourteen, I think fourteen or fifteen, I had a geography teacher called Mr. Betridge, who was a, who was uh, very supportive of my acting at school, and he suggested that I should apply to the National Youth Theatre, and I was fortunate enough to get in. And so, we would put on, we would do plays uh, just down the road from where we are now on. York Way. Oh, no, in the very beginning, the Youth Theatre was just behind in, behind Kings Cross Station on York Way. Then it moved to the Holloway Road. So uh, this sort of again, this part of the world was quite familiar for me. Back yeah, because you were there was that, and then later, which is the, the, the it's there now on Holloway Road, I think still. The National Youth Theatre office, yes, it is, and then and that not far from the, from poly, the right? North London Poly where I was exactly. Is that still there? Is that still on yeah. the Holloway Road as well? Yeah, yeah. But I have dreams of my children getting into North London Poly, but. <laughs> They're not the intellectual tour de force that you are. So I don't. Um, you are what you asked for space dust. Yeah. Now um, you remember space dust. Right? Oh, absolutely. It was a sort of 
black packet then with stars and the yep. there was orange flavour yep. and strawberry yep. flavour and I got this for you this, these are push pop dippers all the ah, well this is technically a different no sweet. that's a sherbet dip dab that was yes. no this is the, the, it's candy it's popping, popping candy. candy but you still lick I don't, the I've never had it before I went to the shop Ben couldn't find it in Tesco or any of the shops around him so I went into the local convenience store where the nine year olds go to get their WKD and stuff right, yeah, uh, nice. and, and sure enough they had it so this, I haven't had popping candy since. Uh, I'm also right in thinking that um, it's a sort of used now by like Heston and some imaginative chefs to use use a similar thing in their puddings and stuff. I mean, you do a, get popping candy in restaurants, but you're actually oh, using yeah. Jamie's actually using the lolly to dip in. Yeah, that's how it works. Does it no, you should be able to. Can you hear that? I'm going to have a large mouthful. And that then... is the kick of popping candy, and it doesn't pop as much as it did in my youth. No, because they had to downgrade it. They didn't take the sulfuric acid out, did they? The stuff that we had as kids was like weapons-grade <laughs> popping candy. So, yeah, they've downgraded it quite significantly. Um, but I, I seem to remember there was sort of... It was... it was There was sort of... It was... Because of the name, I thought they thought it was like angel dust. It's like space dust. And then I think they were, it was... It had various... It sounded like drugs. Drug, exactly. Like and drugs. I thought that they thought that was probably not such a good idea. Because, um, of course, at those times, the other thing was that... We also had kids ha- had cigarettes. Do you remember those? Sort mm. of, what was the strange thing now to think of? Why you would encourage children? Twenty to have of them with a little candy. red tips on the end. Uh, red tips, and it was. Uh. And my parents smoked, and my dad would go and buy forty Rothmans, one eat one pack for his mum, and some for, for, his wife some for you. The, the, and then the kids went to me. Don't worry, son. One day <laughs> you'll get a. <laughs> um, well, so it's nice to revisit the the space dust there. It's not quite Thank as poppy as it ought to be. You know, you're welcome. Um, and you, this is the kind of thing you and you and Daniel Craig were dabbing this. At oh, the, we were literally ripped to the tits <laughs> on space dust back in those days. Daniel Craig, because um, you get for a hundred million quid a film, you get a lot of space. You dust. You get a lot of space dust, and you know what those big actors are like. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he sort of went on to become uh, James Bond. <laughs> and I, on the other hand, get up at half past four every morning to do a breakfast show. I don't know where things went wrong, but yeah, our paths deviated around about the age of seventeen, I think. Well, at least your at least your breakfast show is on the Bond film, endlessly deferred. Do you like watching you him in Bond, or do you? Naturally? Yeah, he's the best. I think he's the best. But I also can't help thinking that Bond is essentially dis- sort of is what brought cinema to its knees. The fact that they keep putting it off means that no one can go and see the film. The horrible thing where, yeah, it's Bond is meant to be selfless and heroic, and, and in the end, the, the most Bond-like thing to do would be to carry release on regardless. and carry on regardless yeah. and give, let, yes, not make quite as much money maybe as you would have done, but uh, save some cinemas. No, yeah. Grizzly. Have you had a word with Daniel about that? No, we don't talk. We didn't fall out, but we, we don't <laughs> keep in touch. Did you just call him short ass and... Uh, <laughs> We did, um, we did uh, a, a production of Marat Saad in the National Youth Theatre, which is quite a brutal thing about the Marquis de Saad when you're sort of 14, 15. was quite full on. Yeah, that's, that was quite I ambitious. We were, it was quite a radical theatre group back then. And you wanted to be a serious actor? Uh, I just wanted to. It just was something that I always wanted to do. And I always felt like, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough. I did, a, um, I did a, a play in the West End. Which was described by the standards as the worst thing ever. That one with Zander. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, sorry, that's, I was able to recognise it from the description, now, but I, I didn't. I don't, I don't, <laughs> was that your I review on the poster? <laughs> no, I do not agree. I had a great evening. That was with Alexander Armstrong, correct? Who has done Desert Island, Chris, being my my brother-in-law. Uh, no, it was uh, no, it was great fun. Yeah, yeah. So I've done. I was lucky. I did. So I did a couple of plays. I've done a couple of things on TV, which was fun. But I never really. And it was something that I. I 
I, I sort of thought that that was what I would end up doing, and I never really did, which was always a bit of a shame because that sort of that ship has sailed, I think now. Oh, I don't know. Um, well, look, so you 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 there's the youth theatre, and then uh, in university, well, po- polytechnic, and then yeah. and then Christie's. I, I, I don't want to get too far from the weak crunchies, which come up next. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, are they are this childhood as well? Or? Well, no, not so much. The, the, the bacon wheat crunchies are, I feel, like oh, you know, often people say, "What's the greatest crisp?" Uh, and for me, there is only one. Mean people was... often. It's a question only ever debated on this <laughs> program. No, true. Okay, on your show, I know that people argue about. <laughs> What is the greatest flavour, Chris? And I've, I've heard your show before. No one's gone for wheat crunchies. Quite correct. They're, Why is that? There's a, it's a lot of prawn cocktail. A lot of, a lot of skips and prawn cocktails people go for. But no, the crispy bacon wheat crunchy. We... Let's do it. And then, and then let's talk briefly about Christie's because I keep... Okay. No, I, I set you up but and the, then but, the, you. but the, any sort of meat flavour. I like chicken crisps are fantastic. Yeah. I think Americans do it quite well. I know in America you can get, for instance, you can get um, beef but cheeseburger Pringles. Oh wow, which that's are, really good that they're making those now in America because they have got this problem of everyone getting so thin over there. Yeah, and if, if you can now, now they've invented the, the cheeseburger Pringle, they might yeah. be able to. Thank goodness. Oh, but that's as a food critic. Oh yeah. What? How? What would you say about the the? Um, I love bacon the roundness of it, which allows the. Air molecules to circulate and create more flavour. Yeah. I love it. It looks like a rigatono, to use yeah. the singular of a, of a, of a rigatoni. Yeah. Not like a penne because it's not cut on the bias. Right. Um, not actual size. There's a thing on the front that says not actual size, but actually it is the actual size. I've never noticed that before. They have to say that on a crisp packet? But the, it is the actual size. The hole is slight, slightly bigger hole. Um, I, I would have also accepted a frazzle. Oh, we'll be talking about that. Ben went looking for the wheat crunchies. He said, if we, I said, if you can't find them, give them a yeah. I'll roll it up. It's essentially the same thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, they taste the same. What yeah. a fantastic crisp that is. No, these are delicious. So listen, you went to, you went to work at Christie's. Yeah, so I was at Christie's um, for a couple of years. I don't quite end up with how I ended up there. Um, and then I decided I wanted to be an auctioneer, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then that kind of, I, that dream ended. Um, I because it was a bit like acting. Well, I guess Voice so, in a way, there's a sort of performance element to it. Mm. The problem is, I was a complete shot. I knew nothing about art at all. And so I, was, I went to work in the press office. And then I got quite excited about classic cars. And then I wanted to be, be work in the car department. And, um, but that, um, that, that, that didn't last. I was only there for a couple of years. And then the, the art market absolutely collapsed at all, in around the end of the sort of 80s, early 90s. And that was sort of put an end to my... Do I hear five pounds? No. no, that was it. Um, and I sort of quite liked the auction. I was fascinated by the art market and the auction. It was a fascinating pup. Um, well, you buy a lot of art and furniture and stuff now, don't you? That's yeah, a big interest. I do, yeah. I love auctions. I always have done. I find them quite exciting. I loved all the... There was all kind... I remember we at... Um, there was a... There was always quite a lot of uh, excitement around rug sales, because there was always this ring of ca- carpet dealers that would all decide who was going to bid on, they'd control the prices of, the whole thing was rigged, that market. They'd all con- decide the prices of various things. And, and often there'd be sort of scuffles would, and fights would break out during rug sales when someone would break the rules as to who was meant to bid for what. 
Um, this round here, Kentish Town, used to be the carpet capital of London. There used to be. There's still about four carpet shops down there. Right. But there used to be. Uh, there used to, there was a carpet warehouse. Allied. <laughs> there was an ally down the road. No, but these were all. And the guys are. They're all. They're all broadly sort of Turks and Moroccan, yeah, North African stuff. And they all operated a sort of massive yeah. cartel of everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and all the auctions are all, all the prices were all rigged and that kind of thing. So that yeah. was it. That was it. It was an exciting time. Um, and, and it came to an end at around about and, and it came to around about the time the Carlton Club was bombed. Do you remember when the RA bombed the tour, the mm-hmm. Carlton Club, and the Carlton Club was right opposite Christie's, and we had a we were having a sale at the time, an impressionist sale. I remember the whole thing so vividly when the bomb went off, and everyone felt the we were stood outside. We were only a matter of yards away from where the bomb went off. Blimey. And so that um, were the paintings damaged. Everything was absolutely fine. Pleased to say, these water lilies or whatever. But, oh my god! The paintings were fine. And so then you were compelled to go into radio. Yeah. So you mind if I? No. Your whole point is you eat. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. We did. It's the whole rude. People want to hear Jamie Thiessen eating a wheat crunchy uh, and talking about uh, the, the, the birth of radio, which is well, no, I mean, radio was your first media thing. Yeah. So I um, went. To um, when I it was actually whilst I was still at university, I think in my final year at Poly, rather in my final year, yes, don't get above yourself. I'll remind you, you've already rumbled me. Uh, we um, I had a a good friend of mine, and she worked in the travel department doing all the the rota for the travel presenters. And one Sunday morning, she rang me and said, We've got this terrible thing, everyone's been taken sick, we have no one to read the travel news. Would you do it? And I said, Well, I've never. So I'd never done anything like that before. She said, well, no, but you've done, you've sort of wanted to be an actor at school and this is the sort of thing you want to do. You know, come in, read the travel uh, and it'll be fine. And it kind of went from there. And I went and I would go in in the morning, I'd do the travel, uh, the morning And what station was this? On before five live, before Radio 5 became five live, mm-hmm. but also for all the BBC channels. So um, Radio 2, Radio 4. So wait a minute, you were, you were in just working in the press and then... Yeah, no, work, I was working uh, at the uh, Broadcasting House. So, uh, and I'd do the morning rush hour, then I'd go to do my lectures at North London Poly, and then I'd come back and do the evening rush hour. So I nice. did that for about, about a year and a half, realised that travel wasn't really my calling. I was a big sports fan, I wanted to be a sports reporter. But so when you said you were doing the travel, do you mean like there's a tailback on yeah. the M40? I'll give you a little yeah. example. There's a two-mile tailback eastbound on the M6 between junctions 7 and 12. <laughs> but wait and you said you realised that wasn't your forte yeah. do you think there are people who say that and think right this is as far as I ever want to go in no, media Junction 7 uh, and I so we wanted to yeah because you're a, well, we'll talk about sport in, it's in, the, in the round but that was your big thing always yeah um, and, what, and you wanted to then yeah so I went I went to um, a chap called Bob Shannon who was the head of sport at the time at the BBC and I went to, I knocked on his door and I said I want to be a sports reporter and he said well you need to go away to do some local radio and find your feet and then come back um, in a year's time and we'll see where we are. So I went and worked for GLR for nothing on the sports show and started doing football reports. In, you know when they go around the grounds on match days? So I'd take my Rothmans yearbook and my telephone and I would go to wherever it was. Which did you get out to the, to, the, to the lower leagues? Or? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, they and were, you were a Brighton fan? I was a Brighton fan, yeah. Um, but they would go, I would, if, you know, it'll, it'll be a, you know, Mansfield town versus Portsmouth and we can go live to Jamie and I'll be, yeah, it's 1-0 here at <laughs> wherever, wherever I was. And I absolutely loved it. The most terrifying thing was when you were doing any of those reports was if someone scored live during your report because mm. you'd write it 
And of course, if you, we now go live to Germany. If someone scored, there'd be that awful moment where the crowd would all be going wild. And, and you'd be like, something's oh, happened. someone scored! <laughs> and you'd go to this sort of Alan Partridge moment. Can't see who it was. Uh, might <laughs> but, have been a header. Particularly because you're presumably sitting next to the local guy in Mansfield. The guy scores. Who's the big number nine? He'll yes. tell you the name. You write exactly, it down. Exactly. But if you just see it happen live, yeah. you have to give away the fact that you don't no, exactly. Your give a toss. And when I started, my, first, my initially my job was to be Garth Crooks's right hand man. So Garth would be doing the report, and I'd uh-huh. be the one writing the notes for him. So we used to go travel around the what country did, together on Saturdays doing a games. Thunderous broadcaster, Garth. <laughs> I always thought <laughs> he takes a while to gather his thoughts. He does. <laughs> Quite sort of polysyllabic. It's kind yes. of yeah. I often felt for him, and I, now when I see him on TV, I just wish I could be sat next to him scribbling some. <laughs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, just tell me about the Ripple. So, first, the first thing to remember about Ripple, no, rip, no two Ripples are alike, like snowflakes. The way right. the production, if you were to break your Ripple, for instance... Oh. The, <laughs> the way that that chocolate is folded is unique to that particular bar. See, I, you, yeah, you love a ripple, don't you? I love a ripple. It, it's quite an old, quite a niche chocolate. I wasn't sure if they were still around. Like Ben yeah. said he'd go and get it. I had a conversation on the phone. Can you get a ripple? Do, they still, do you know what yeah. a ripple is? Because he's only 28, is Ben. He said, yeah, it's a, it's a single twirl, isn't it? Oh, you see, you're <laughs> wrong there, Ben. The ripple, funny enough, the ripple is actually celebrates its 50th birthday, like I do, this year. Really? So the ripple is 50 years old. It's Galaxy, and any Galaxy derivative for me is a jo- yeah. any Galaxy chocolate, whether it's a counter or a... Uh, you, you're, there, you're that way rather than Dairy Milk, are you? All the way. Dairy Milk's awful. Gal- something about the Galaxy chocolate that's just heaven. And it's like a flake, but less messy. I say less messy, I'm making out absolutely <laughs> mess of it here. Encased in chocolate, and uh, yeah, it's, an, it's a... It's a it's a dream of a chocolate bar. I'm beginning to wonder, as we sort of wibble on, I, I might have to move you through to Live and Kicking, basically. Yeah, fine. So I mean, ba- let's, can you get me to Live and Kicking while you're eating that ripple from... Yeah, so I, it, I found myself it, with a BBC pass doing the travel news and various sports shows. And um, whilst I was there, uh, I'd met a chap called Paul Smith who was running the presentation for Children's BBC. He was in charge of all the children's TV shows. And he said, well, have you ever thought about doing children's TV? And I hadn't really given it much thought at all. I was still planning on being a... We were still hoping that adults would be interested in watching you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and that's when he said, well, look, we do this show called The Ozone, which is a music kind of interview mm. chat show. Why don't you come along and do a couple of things? And so 
that was kind of it really and I did a I, I, I did that for a year or so and was then asked to do the sort of the big show for the for, for kids at the time was Live and Kicking which yeah. is a live three hour sort of Saturday morning show which was way above anything that I'd sort of done before I was doing we used to do little pre-recorded interviews had you done Top of the Pops by then? no you so that came later okay. so Live and Kicking essentially was that they Roughly had when are we talking about 97, 98? <sighs> no, uh, no before oh. that I think I would say um, sort of midnight early to mid 90s I mean by the time you were on I was about 26 so I wasn't yeah we, you, you, were, you were sort of not really the target audience <laughs> at, by, at that stage but to someone like my wife you are to people of 35 what Noel Edmonds is to me Noel actually was a, was a big influence I remember not having any concept of live television, never having done anything similar. I remember being in TV Centre and we would do our run-throughs for Live and Kicking and then I would walk down to TC1, which is the big studio, mm-hmm. where they would be setting up for House Party and I'd sit at the back and watch Noel Edmonds rehearse and put the show together. He was absolutely unbelievable as a really? presenter. Yeah, he didn't have, a, didn't have any auto-cue. He'd look at his, a running order... And you go, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, done it. And then we'll do an hour. Boom. Unbelievable. I was doing the show with alongside um, Zoe Ball, who by that stage had done quite a lot of live TV anyway. She's done Big Breakfast. And, and I had no idea. And the only way I could sort of get around it was to, was to sort of understand what everyone did. So I would be fascinated about what the sound man did or what the lighting guy did. Whereas Zoe would just sort of breeze in, wouldn't even bother really? showing up for rehearsals and just do it. She's had that natural ability to be able to do live TV, which I never had. Did you develop it? No, so you're still, still show you. Yeah, so I but I would be the other way. And I would have to absolutely if I if I knew exactly what was happening, mm-hmm. when it was going to happen, how it was going to happen, then I'd feel like I had a bit of a sort of handle on it. So we approached it very differently. I think that might might be why why we sort of work quite so well. So are you more comfortable with radio than you? I mean, no, you've done loads of TV and the games and all the other things. But I mean, so not more comfortable is wrong. But the live radio doesn't phase you at all. No, I, I still feel. I mean, I've done. I've. If you think, I mean, we, we talked about the first time when I did travel and mm. sports. That will, that this year, that's thirty years ago. So in yeah. a way, after, after thirty years, you'd have thought I'd have got my head around it <laughs> by now. But I still feel nervous about going. It's just because you always feel critical about your own ability. So you're nervous about doing a good show or not. Yeah. You know, we have good shows. You have bad shows. You know what it's like. And that's what makes me. I don't get nervous. Yeah, this is about an absolute the, car crash, for example. <laughs> And that was sort of mid nineties. So this was yeah. This is late like, night. This is probably more yeah, mid to late nineties. Yeah, and it was just a f- good fun time. That's yeah. kind of Britpop blur oasis. Exactly. Schedule, so of. it felt like there was a, it was just a lot going on, and um, so yeah, there were there were sort of some. I've got very happy memories of that, and also com- combined with the fact that I was still doing the ozone, and we were flying all around the world interviewing famous pop stars. So it's kind of quite a cool way to make a living, you know, when you're, in your, when you're 25 years old. And it meant that I, you know, got a chance to see places and that I would never otherwise have had a chance Were to see. any of these places the sort of place you might have eaten reindeer? Ah, uh, yes. You so put it on your list, and by the way, reindeer, yeah, you did. And, I, and, and, and uh, you know, I know it, it's Christmas isn't far away, <laughs> and I don't want to ruin anyone's Christmas, but um, I ate reindeer. You've eaten reindeer before? I've eaten reindeer. There you go. I mean, only while doing a TV show in exactly. Lapland. I think. It was the same as me. So I was doing a holiday show in Finnish Lapland, because mm-hmm. Lapland itself is not a thing. 
It's a, they think it's a thing. It's not a country. No. Uh, uh, Father Christmas's nationality is not Lap. No. Um, the Lapish. I think there's no. You can. There's Swedish Lapland. There's Finnish yes. Lapland. Is there Norwegian Lapland? I'm turning to Ben because why would Ben? He's got a bit of Viking in him. Oh, okay. Who doesn't? But the Sami yeah. are the kind of they're the sort the of last native. nomadic European tribe in existence who still move with the changing of the seasons and they, and their reindeer is their life. So they eat them, they wear them, they ride them. Yeah, you don't have to draw pictures. Those are the only three things they do with them that we want to hear about on a family show. Uh, uh, and I, and like you, I was and I was up there to film a story about the um oh no it's about the ice hotel yes that's right i me too oh because of your the, the hotel show yes did you do the husky dog the, the whole thing, the, the, thing. the worst smelling dogs in the worst stinking unbelievable dogs. but even better than that do you remember i remember on the things dogs smell but quite exciting and exhilarating oh, yeah but sort of getting hit by all these stones on the way through and after, they, when, when the dogs are running and yeah. you're in the sled behind, and them, behind. mush mush yeah the sled, but they, the, 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 the the urine the strong urine yeah. smell that comes back it led me to think that scott you know when, when captain oak said i'm just going outside <laughs> i think he just couldn't stand the smell anymore <laughs> but the what the thing was when we got to the ice hotel and i said he said oh uh i know jamie do, jamie do you enjoy your I said, yeah, it's great. I, I, I kept getting hit by these stones. He went, no, no, that's the <laughs> frozen dog pool. <laughs> I was getting hit by pellets of dog turd that, that froze and then hit me in the face. So they froze between the dog's bum and your face. They yeah, just that cold. That, that, that cold. cold. So it had the in smell a way, you've got to be of you. Glad it wasn't warmer. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so you put reindeer down, and I thought I've eaten because reindeer jerky. You're getting around Christmas. You sometimes get. I went up to my local butcher this morning. Right. And I just I, again, I just because I'm so used to eating unusual things and show, and I just went into the into the local butcher, good local butcher, and I said, have you, "Do you have any reindeer?" And he looked at me like, like I've got a few, a few, I'm going a unicorn either, mate. <laughs> and there's, no, no. I mean, I don't. And then I found myself with all these three butchers looking at me, going. Um, and hello to them anyway, particularly Michael, QPR fan up there at uh, Meat, it's called, <laughs> imaginatively, uh, and, and, and a great favourite of mine. He goes, uh, and I said, well, no, I don't mean, obviously you haven't got any fresh reindeer, like some reindeer jerky or something. And these butchers, yeah, it wasn't reindeer jerky either, Charles. <laughs> but is it something that you can buy in a butcher? You can usually, usually around Christmas, you, see, you, get, no, you get reindeer jerky. There was a jerky down in Waterloo, there was a sort of... I think there was a South African sort of jerky shop or biltong shop. Right, you, yeah. you do, you do, you get reindeer. I don't know. I filmed so much or done food shows and stuff up in the north that they eat a lot of reindeer. They eat reindeer moss. The the the, the lichen that grows on the on the antlers is a thing that you'll have in a sort of Heston style restaurant, sort of sprinkled wow. on. Because they have lots of strange berries, don't they? Snow berries and li- yes, li- something else berry that we don't. Yeah, lots of lots of all sorts of strange things. And but and it's and what it's 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 very big a reindeer. I mean, it's bigger than a deer, isn't it? Yes, not but as big not as a, a moose. Not as big as a moose. But I, I don't think moose really exists. No. It, 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 what's an elk? It's a huge moose. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bigger <laughs> than you a... Because you know how people often say, you know, you're going to have... What are you going to have for Christmas time? Is it going to be goose or turkey? Yeah. We, we should... Reindeer. Reindeer. We, we should, should say thing. we're going to have a reindeer. See what the kids make of that. But I think that... But it's, but it's basically like a deer. So it's, so it's just sort of fatless, well, gamey meat. Do you, I, I couldn't get any. So, so what, what, tell me, t- just take me before we go into food number seven. From, from live and kicking, what was happening in the early two thousands? Um, so uh, I was then. I, I then went on and did various other TV shows. Top of the Pops. How was Top uh, of the Pops? Great you, fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an e- again, it's an you know, it's an easy show to do because it's not really. You just it's just you know, 
short paragraphs of links between bands. But again, you're part of that sort of era of music, and you will see and meet all the artists and this is pre music streaming pre spotify pre social media it's a very different world that we lived in then and yeah the charts were still considered a a big deal can you remember what was number one on your first show no <laughs> <laughs> or any of the music i do i remember I like one, of my, one of my <laughs> really <laughs> making, it, making the era just come back to us <laughs> One of the things I do remember about Top of the Pops was doing was the Christmas Top of the Pops was always quite fun. And I remember one year being made to haul in an enormous sleigh with Jane McDonald from the cruise sat on the sleigh singing, I don't know, some... Do you remember what the Christmas, Christmas number one was then? Uh, well, it would have normally been the Spice Girls. Right. But I think they were sort of... Num- to it In the sort of late 90s, they kind of dominated yeah. the Christmas number one. So... I mean, the Spice Girls were always on the show. It was funny, around about that time again, having done, doing the Ozone, um, doing sort of most of the, mu- like Glastonbury, um, Top of the Pops, most of the music output, you would see these sort of people come around again and again and again. So it's quite conceivable within a week, you might interview someone like, I don't know, Westlife three times. I also had a show on Radio 1 at the time as well. So between the sort of Radio 1, Ozone, Top of the Pops... You pretty much covered all the were pop you a ma- acts. Were you the a massive, you're not a massive muso, are you? Or are you? I was a, I, I more, more so before I started working. <laughs> I used to love music. And then that, that, almost that love of music and that desire to seek out new music was kind of killed by, by, by Westlife. By Westlife. <laughs> so, um, but no, I was, I was a big music fan. Again, as a young, when I was much younger... I don't know you're right now I don't really you know but there was a time when I'd go to record fairs and follow bands around the country and not anymore <laughs> but now you're um so then a lot of that with, with Top of the Pops with uh with Live and Kicking a lot of the things you were presenting to younger than you yes uh, now, but when when you start doing Heart you're presenting to your own catchment would well, you say yeah I get you know um don't forget where I, I've sort of always done shows that have matched my audience in a way so I've done kids when I was much younger did kids shows and then sort of teen shows and then as I've sort of got older so um and then yeah so if you then cut to 2005 um well I would have been I think I would have been on I think I was at Radio 1 at the time or maybe I just finished at Radio 1 I can't really remember the the time frame so I'd done radio but also I was I was doing lots of other tv shows as well I can't remember what tv shows I was doing at the time uh, I just made a show called The Search, which had nearly bankrupted Channel 4, which was a big global treasure hunt where people saw where we flew all around the world. We had about seven or eight crews. It was an, it, no one watched it, and it cost an absolute fortune. <laughs> it was just before they'd worked out things like I'm a celebrity. They just realized the cheap thing was <laughs> yes, to have one location, yeah, loads of celebs. Yeah, exactly. Well, not cheap, but I mean, that was the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, in some ways, that's like the breakfast show is a thing that a radio professional wants. It's the most famous, all the, the greats, you know, the, the Blackburns and the Wogans and the Evans. Yeah, that's the show that, um, you know, more people, you know, if you think about all the other shows combined, they still don't really number the amount of people that listen at breakfast. And that hasn't changed um, as the, the way in which 
people listen changes but that you, you you that's where your biggest audiences are and for any station you need to have a successful if you have a successful breakfast show then chances are that audience will stay with you for the for the rest of the day let's hold it there for a second and let's yeah. just talk about what i have here which is thing number seven yes you said congealed yes. cow's blood yes i thought i could catch you out with that um, i can't believe you've actually managed to and i do have source. some so i went up to the butcher the, i went the same butcher as i walked in and said have you got any reindeer <laughs> And I walked out, and then I came back and said, "Maybe <laughs> you can thing. help me. If you, I need, if you got any blood." And my my friend Michael said, "What kind of blood, Charles?" And I said, "Cow's blood." And he literally said, "Oh, if you'd come in yesterday." I went, "What? <laughs> what were you doing yesterday?" <laughs> and 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 then he said, "Well, no, tomorrow, pig's blood." I said, "No, it's." He said, "You know." And they said, "What's it for?" And I said, "Listen, I've got." Jamie Theakston coming on my radio show. Uh, and he was oh, some yeah, yeah, oh, 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 we all don't say anymore. No, no. <laughs> wow. Um, so and, that's the blood. Of a, that's the blood that's poured off from the liver of a calf. I'm going to get a teaspoon. You're going to eat that. You are kidding Look me. His face. His I'm face. not. There's no way that's going in my mouth. So I'll tell you, whilst you're doing that, I'll tell you this, the, the, the story. So I, um, I was in Uganda and I was making a, uh, a film about child soldiers. And I was with a charity and we drove out to go and um, talk to some... Uh, uh, some v- local villagers whose kids had been it was, a, it was a sad story and so we went up to um to these uh to this village and we came across these um nomadic tribes people that were moving their cattle across the north of the country and an extraordinary bunch of people all f- heavily armed because they off- what would happen was they would get attacked by other tribes that steal their cows uh and then what was extraordinary was was two things. First of all, they all were wearing like sort of charity uh, cast off. So they were obviously charity had given donated huge amounts of clothes to this region, or they were all funneled into this region. But there'd be people with sort of like you know Watford sh- shirts <laughs> or Postman Pat T-shirts. It was carrying the most bizarre, carry, yeah, sort of AK forty sevens. It's really terrifying, and. As these, tri- as these guys were sort of moving around, the, the, only, the only thing they had were their cows. That was their cattle. That was their thing. And so we went to go and talk with them, and we sat with them. And the, what they, they eat was uh, their, the congealed milk of the cow, bleed the blood into the congealed milk, and then that would uh, break down the sort of hardened milk that was like a sort of rank cheese. Oh, you didn't give me the full recipe? because there is no. <laughs> There isn't and, milk in there. And that was what they ate. I mean, you, I could not think of the, uh, the, a more unpleasant thing. Um, tell me about this, ne- this, this next thing. Aromatic crispy duck. So, yes. So, first of all, is, it, is that the same as, like, Peking duck? Well, there is... Is there a difference? Yes. Oh. There is, there is um, Cantonese roast duck, which is a sort of very juicy thing. Right. Which, and, and Peking duck is a bit like that, slightly drier. And there's aromatic crispy duck, which is the dry crispy one, which, which I'll bring, which they bring to the table and they fork it up to yes. shred it and you pile it. And how is it? Is it cooked in a different type of oven? Is that how it works? Or is it, does it, does it treat, is the skin sort of treated with different... It's kind of embarrassing on my actual radio show of the station where I'm the restaurant critic of the newspaper to be asked really specific no, food questions where I don't no, know the answers to them at all. No, I do. If I they, just don't know what the terminal. I didn't know whether it's actually quite confusing. I mean, the aromatic crispy duck is is the drier form, and that's the Eng- it's a bit like is it a bit like curry? No, so they, we have no, like no, a they, tikka masala, which they don't bit, have in India. A bit, but they so don't. in go back to the sort of imperial China yeah. Ming dynasty because it's a food of kings, isn't it? 
well, what would they, they have had? Be, they might have eaten Cantonese roast duck, which is... Um, but in the way we do it, pancakes and... Uh, well, there's one. If you go to somewhere like Min Chang, which is wonderful, and, and in Kensington, uh, sort of the Kensington Garden Hotel, um, and that's where they have really good... Um, Peking roast Peking duck. duck. And then that's going to be served with the skin separately with a bit of glazing of sugar and they eat the skin. You have it in three yeah. servings. Uh, and then you then you would eat the meat and the juices with rice and then you would eat the sort of the difficult to get bits stripped off the carcass and maybe stir-fried oh, spicy. Full, sort of the... lots of layers of things. This is more... Yes, but rolling it with uh, with cucumber and... Um, That's acceptable. I don't know about the Ming Dynasty. It's certainly, we used to have it in the late 1970s on Finchley Road. Well, this is the thing. When I, the reason why I put it down on my list was because as a child, I remember at the Hong Kong Garden in Burgess Hill having crispy duck pancakes for the first time and it being an absolute... I'd never thought I'd eaten anything quite like it in my life. It sort of ch- it changed my world had a similar sort of in the same way that I, I think I had a similar epiphany when I was ha- had like crackling on pork on crispy pork crackling um, and I think it might be my favourite thing in the world so you know no pressure well but let's find out I've got a bit more I, got, I couldn't get it during the day I got it on uh, I got a quarter I got another quarter does this look as you'd expect it's exactly how I was hoping it was going to be um, and we've got a few chopsticks here and you can sort of do yourself a pancake yeah. and I will uh, you know, and is, the, is, it, is this hoisin or what's yeah, the sauce? Yeah, that's hoisin sauce, yeah, plum sauce. Plum sauce. Um, and then the, sort of the, the, the waitress sort of comes to the table with two forks, doesn't she, and sort of breaks it all down like this. And it's quite dry. This may, so I had to order this yesterday and then reheat it, but I thought it wouldn't suffer too much from the reheating. My um, youngest son wanted to, wants duck for Christmas. Peking duck or duck? Well, I don't think he really knows the difference. I'm not sure I would. Is it? It's really just, it's just overcooked duck. <laughs> That's what he specifically wants. We normally have overcooked turkey. Um, well, that looks lovely. Can I? You, do, can yeah, I help myself? Get in there and yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Jiley, this is perfect. Wow. Yeah. And what's your final food then? Um, Uncle Sam's peanut burger, peanut butter burger. <clears throat> so Uncle Sam's is a. Um, it will be familiar to anyone from in Sussex. So around the sort of Brighton area, Uncle Sam's was a fast a burger joint chain, and um, Uncle Sam's was one of the fir- was the, certainly the first time I'd ever eaten a takeaway burger before, and my dad would often pick up Uncle Sam's on his way back from work, and it was an absolute treat. And one of the things that they did was they'd have all kinds of um, sort of novelty burger fillings, so they were slightly ahead of their game in that respect. And one I remember particularly was the peanut butter burger. So you have you ne- your face I completely you've never no had idea. a peanut butter burger before. No, I mean, I'm just wondering whether it's something whether you dreamt it. I can't. I can't. I really... might have done. Um, it just felt very American. So Uncle Sam's clearly the name, and it had a. It was. It was all very, you know, celebration of American. I'm pretty sure that it was like one of those awful American peanut butters that you can buy nowadays. The, you know, the, do you, are you a peanut butter fan? I, 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 ish. I had a peanut butter sandwich the other day. I do have peanut butter from time there to time. Go. I put it in sort of smoothies and stuff like that. I, I don't mind a some pack crunchy. Will you go crunchy or smooth? Crunchy. Mm. Oh yeah. There's no point in smooth. So imagine a lot of peanut butter. It's melting on the hit with the heat of the burger. But it's it's, it's so like salty buttery. and fatty, and it it's salty and fatty. So when you have it in a sandwich, I don't mind having it with bananas, quite good, or in a sandwich with with jam, like they have in America. I feel that with a burger. You're okay. You're okay for salt and fat, right? So, so, so that's you know, done. And, and then what you might put on it would be 
something more in the relish, the sort of sharp. Anyway, I mean, I'm not going to knock it. If, if, well, because you... also you, you've never had one. Yeah, well, that's the point of this show is that one tries things one hasn't had before as well, which I've been unable to do because Ben wasn't prepared to go to Sussex to get me a peanut butter burger. I suppose I could have ordered a sort of... I'm not even sure they still do. This was in 1983. Or ever did, Jamie. Or ever did. (laughs) Out of fish and chips, space dust, bacon, wheat, crunchies, reindeer, ripple, congealed cow's blood, Mm. crispy duck, uh, aromatic with pancakes, uh, and the Uncle Sam's peanut burger which is the one where you stranded on a desert island that you would not be able to do without or that uh, you would choose to have above all others it would be the ripple really yeah just until rescued you just want to just live. if you could somehow organize a refrigeration uh-huh. and be a limitless supply of any galaxy related chocolate bar then i'd be happy and in fact i wouldn't want saving in fact, I'd probably turn... If, if there was a beacon, I'd turn it off because <laughs> I'd be happy. Oh. Well, it made me very happy having you here. Jamie, thank you very much. Thank you. For, Thanks, Giles. For, for being here and doing our Desert Island crisps. You've been listening to a special edition of Giles Corran Has No Idea, Desert Island Crisps. This is a Wireless Studios production produced by Ben Mitchell. And don't forget, you can listen to the podcast on the Times Radio app, and you can also subscribe to us wherever else you get your podcast. Esther and I will be back next week, and you can tune in for the live experience on my Times Radio show every Friday from 1 till 4. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.